Welcome to A Firm Foundation, presented by Princeton Ministries, with Dr. Ken Smith. This is Carol Smith, Ken's wife. Please enjoy. Our God and our Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Abortion is probably the most important single moral issue that is facing our time. Some have called it the American Holocaust. It's hard to believe that it was only in 1959 that the United Nations adopted a Declaration of the Rights of Children. And I quote from that document, this insisted that children need special safeguards and care, including appropriate legal protection before as well as after birth, unquote, from the United Nations, 1959. According to the Center for Disease Control, uh, which is based in Atlanta, Georgia, since the decision of Roe versus Wade, which occurred some 13 years ago, which allowed abortion in America, there have been some 17 million abortions. Now, this time last year, I said that there were 15 million abortions. They are occurring at a rate of some 4,500 every day. And of those millions of abortions, according to this neutral source, the Center for Disease Control, over 90% of all of the abortions that are being performed in America, in the United States today, are being performed for non-medical reasons, reasons of convenience. And we have reached the sorry state where 60 out of every 1,000 women, by the time they are 18 years old, have had an abortion. Now, there is a lot of rethinking that is going on in the part of those who are supporters of abortion. I speak of uh, Representative Henry Waxman, who is a strong advocate of abortion in the Congress, and recently he made this remark, and I quote, people are genuinely troubled by the large number of abortions taking place and the convenience of those abortions, unquote. By and large, the Church of Jesus Christ has been virtually silent on this great moral dilemma that faces our nation. And it is difficult to separate, is the question of abortion a political question, a legislative question, a moral question, 
a personal question. It depends upon how and to what extent you place the emphasis that you would answer that question. But ultimately, if you have been listening to any of the discussions that have been occurring about the abortion question, the doctors refuse to say if it is moral or not. The politicians refuse to talk about the morality of abortion. And over and over again, when they reach that point in their discussion, they say, we leave the morality of the question primarily up to those institutions that would talk about morality. We leave that up to the ethicists. We leave it up to the philosophers. We leave it up to the church to talk about the morality of abortion. Richard Newhouse observes in his book, The Naked Public Square, comment about the church. He says, the church is the particular society within society that, has, that bears the institutional witness to those transcendent moral values to which society is held accountable. And it is the church that is to transmit the traditions by which right and wrong truth and falsehood are to be measured. It is the responsibility of the church to speak about the morality of the activity of abortion. Well, if we were to look to the scriptures, what do the scriptures say about the unborn child, that child in the womb? Well, we find that there are hundreds of references that specifically talk about the child, and in particular the unborn child. And there are some principles that we want to maintain as Christians to understand the morality of abortion. The first is to be found from the first words of the scripture, that in the beginning it was God who created we find that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, reference is made that God created man in his own image. And that phrase is repeated over and over again. In the image of God, we have been created. And so it is certain from Scripture that as God created us, he created us with certain moral and spiritual capacities. Our value as human beings is not based upon what we can do for other people. It is not based upon our quality of life, but rather it is because of who we are and the fact that God has made us in his image that becomes one of the foundational teachings about the sanctity of life from the moment of conception to that moment that a person would die and leave this world. We speak also about the commandments. The sixth commandment is that thou shalt not murder. And we are all very aware of that prohibition. But also within that prohibition is to be found a positive statement. And that is that 
someone who would wantonly take the life of another person, the violent act of murder, that God sees that as such a grievous activity that he would declare that the life of that person should be taken. And why would God declare the ultimate penalty? It is because God sees and knows that every individual has within them the sanctity of life, the presence of God to the point that we are created in his image and that we have the capacity for moral living, the capacity to worship him and to honor him. Jesus reiterates this teaching when he says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he insists not only is the act of murder a violent act and one that declares the greatest penalty and judgment of God, but he carries it even a step further and says that anyone who would even want or think in their mind about being so angry that they would murder in their mind their neighbor, that they too have committed before the Lord that act. If we look at scripture, we find too that there is a great emphasis and concern on the part of the Lord for any abuse towards children. I think especially of 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 16 through 20. Israel had fallen to such a depraved and immoral state that they began to build idols to false gods. They worshiped those idols. And one of the great abominations, that word is such a grievous word that the Lord would use, but one of the abominations that would occur is the sacrificing of children to these false gods. And the Lord declares that woe be to anyone who would even cause a child to fall. It would be better that a millstone be tied about your neck. And there is a great place in the mind of the Lord for all children, for the sanctity of those children, for the responsibility of those who have voices to be able to speak in defense of those children, for those who have arms to be able to protect those children, for those who can walk to walk in defense of those children. And one of the responsibilities of parents is to protect and to nurture and to love that holy gift that God might give you as a family of a child. The scripture teaches that God has created us, according to Ephesians 2.10, as his workmanship, his poetry, that when he looks upon each of us, he sees us as a potential workman for him, that he would want us to come to a knowledge of his son and to be able to serve him. Another important principle of scripture is that the unborn child is primarily owned by God. Every Christian parent knows that 
a child is merely lent to you, that it is a gift to you from our Heavenly Father. It is a gift which we are to train and encourage and teach, but it is a gift that is separate from us. It is a gift that does not belong to the state. It is a gift that does not belong to society or to the government. Ultimately, it is a gift that does not even belong to the parents. It is a gift to parents given from God. And each father and mother has a responsibility for the Lord, before the Lord as to how they teach and encourage and instruct and protect their children. Children are not ours to treat as we please, but rather children have a great value. And it amazes me as I look occasionally at news pieces that will show people getting highly emotional about the killing of seals in the Arctic. And they will gather by the hundreds and they will send petitions. And yet, when was the last time that you saw that concern expressed by many who would come and say, what about these children? And Christians have a responsibility and the privilege of being able to speak a word in defense of those children. And thank God that there are multiple thousands of Christians who are waking up to what is happening in this Holocaust. Another principle from Scripture is that God is not only active in the event of conception, but God is also involved in all aspects of the child's development between conception and birth. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. David reflects upon the fact that God had a knowledge. It is God's wisdom that formed his substance while he was yet in his mother's womb. Verse 16 uses a Hebrew word, golem. It is important that we understand that word, for that word is translated embryo or fetus or unborn child. That while we were being shaped in our mother's womb, God was at work and that God watched over from beginning to end that process. And that's the reason that Jeremiah would say in chapter 1, verse 5, I was formed in the belly of my mother by God. If we were to look at Scripture and exhaustively study God's Word, there is not a single verse that even remotely suggests the possibility of abortion as being a solution to an unwanted pregnancy. In the New Testament, when we look at 
the teaching, we find that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was yet in his mother's womb. And when Mary came with that precious babe in her womb, Jesus, we read that John, while yet in his mother's womb, leapt for joy. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, was given his name even before he was conceived. And the angel said, you shall conceive and you shall call and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And if ever there was a teacher who taught of the sanctity and the importance of the children, it was Jesus Christ. The early church was unanimous in its desire to protect the unborn child. And we could look at multiple hundreds of references. In the second century, we find a book of the Twelve Apostles in which we find these words, killers of the child who abort the mold of God, along with murderers and adulterers, all embark on the way of darkness. Barnabas in the second century said, Thou shalt not destroy thy conceptions before they are brought forth, nor kill them after they are born. We can find references in Clement and Tertullian and Basil and Chrysostom. Augustine taught that it was the fetus that was conceived by the power of God. We find Luther, the father of the Lutheran church, speaking of the sanctity of the child. We find John Calvin talking about the sanctity of that child. As a matter of fact, it was George Williams, professor from Harvard in church history, who said this, 2,000 years of Jewish Christian history maintain that the fetus is a person with the right to life. We know very well that what has happened in conception is the emergence of a new being, and all that is needed is time. For 20 centuries, the church has stood together declaring that this unborn child should be protected. It is only in recent decades that the church has crumbled, seemingly under the power of the culture. George Scheidler, who is a pro-life activist, says this of the church. The church has responded to the abortion issue like a great big wimp. Unquote. How many there are who, when they find out that you are talking about the question of abortion and morality, will say, I don't think I'll come. That's an issue that I've already settled. And yet, within the church at large, we find in the reunited Presbyterian Church USA that recently this statement was adopted. Abortion, in some cases, can be considered a responsible choice within a Christian framework, unquote. Now there, as we look at it on the face, we say, how could that happen? 
But then when you realize there were 21 overtures as an attempt to overturn that overture, with one of those overtures being the request, perhaps we ought to go back and rethink our position. All of those overtures were overturned. And the one that stands is the public declaration. Abortion, in some cases, can be considered a responsible choice within a Christian framework. There are many myths about abortion. Perhaps one of the most common is that abortion is simply an issue related to the mother. You hear this often, and certainly we feel great sympathy for a woman who would find out that she is pregnant and did not want that child. But I think we must also ask the question, is it possible for any child to come into this world and the only one who is affected is the mother? Why, of course not. There is a father who is affected. There are grandparents who are affected. There are studies now that are even showing that in families that have decided for convenience to abort a child and they have decided not to tell the children, according to one study, the Clinical Social Work Journal of 1984, that the children in homes where abortions are occurring, that those children are aware of an abortion even though the parents are trying to keep it a secret. And so there is a great consequence, one that the vote is still out and we are waiting for the results as a generation of children are growing in the midst of this moral decision. And actually, our society, if we are a humanitarian society, if we are concerned for our neighbor, then we ought to be concerned about the death of literally millions of potential future citizens of our nation. There's another myth, and that myth is that the fetus is not a human being. In September 1970, the California Medical Association saw that there was a great problem. If abortion was ever to be introduced into the mainstream of the United States, they realized that there had to be a separation between the act of abortion and calling it murder. In that periodical, I quote, it will become necessary and acceptable to place relative value rather than absolute value on such things as human life. It is necessary to separate the idea of abortion from the idea of killing, which continues to be socially abhorrent." Unquote. Now, that is from 1970. And you ask, well, how did they go about creating the myth that what is formed in that mother's womb over nine months is really not a person? 
Well, it was a very clever ploy. They no longer called it an unborn child. They called it a fetus. And so if you read very closely the arguments in favor of abortion, you will never find reference to the description of that child in the womb as an unborn baby. Instead, the word is used fetus. Now, that's an interesting word, and it is a mysterious word. It is a Latin word. And what does it mean? Unborn baby. And so we have talked about the fetus as something that is less than a human being, and few would say it's an unborn baby. And yet the term means unborn baby. Martin Luther knew in the Reformation that it was important to translate the Latin scripture into the language of the people. He knew that if the scripture remained in Latin, nobody would understand it. And so the movement of the Reformation was to take the scriptures, which only were in Latin, and to translate them into the vernacular of the people. The abortionists, on the other hand, knows that it is very important to translate English words into Latin so that no one will know exactly what they're doing. And so we have aborted not 17 million unborn children, we have aborted 17 million fetuses. There's another myth, and that is that a woman has a right over her own body. Well, that is true, as is it is equally true that a man has a right over his own body, but that is within limits. I do not have a right over my own body if I want to use my body to punch you in the chin. I do not have a right over my own body if I would commit suicide. There are many things that I do not have ultimately a right over my own body. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what civilization is. It is the gathering together of people with the understanding that we have to give up certain rights to function together. And if we were to live in a world where everyone had the right to murder everyone, if I simply disagreed with you and I could pull out a gun and shoot you and say, that's my right, why, it would be ludicrous. We would have a society that has gone mad. And yet, as one of the common refrains of those who support abortion, is that a woman has a right over her own body. And it is interesting also to find out, according to the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, that that child that is formed within the womb, technically, is not part of the mother. The assumption is that because this baby is growing within me, I have a right 
over that which is part of me. According to the College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the baby in the womb has its own blood system. It has a different blood type. It is a baby that even produces its own food source through the umbilical cord and the placenta. And in at least half of the cases, the babies are of a different sex than their mother. It is the decision of those who are looking very closely that certainly this child is a separate entity unto itself. Elizabeth Elliot said, a mother can say my arm hurts, but she is unaware if her baby hurts. And that's because it is separate from that mother. Another myth about abortion is that it should be allowed because of the frequency of the occasions where the mother's life is at stake or possibly rape or incest. If we look at the figures, we find less than 1% of abortions are performed to save the life of a mother. Less than 1% of abortions are performed because of the incidence of rape. And less than 1% of abortions are performed because of the incident of incest. And, as a matter of fact, over 90% of abortions are simply performed for convenience reasons. There's another myth, and that myth is that a mother has a right to choose. As soon as someone declares, I have a right to choose, that is an emotional argument. Notice that that is a sentence without a predicate. I have a right to choose what? And that is where there is silence. And so the argument simply is presented, I am a woman and I have a right to choose. Well, I am a man and I have a right to choose. And if I should take out that gun and shoot you, I have made the wrong decision. And our culture will send the police and I would be put in prison. A man does not have ultimately the right to choose to do anything that he likes, nor does a woman ultimately have the right to choose to do anything that she likes. It is time for Christians to awaken from their slumber and to pray that God would cause us to be concerned for this great tragedy, that we would pray and humble ourselves and seek his face and ask for his forgiveness, that he will forgive us. He'll heal our land. And I would ask you as a Christian, do you pray about the tragedy of abortion? As a Christian, do you speak up a word lovingly in season of a Christian principle for the value of the life of this child? As a Christian, are you willing to stand and make your voice be known? For as a citizen, we have that right within certain parameters, and we would always want to exercise that responsibility within those parameters.
But ultimately, do you believe that what is formed as the result of conception is a human being who bears the right and the responsibility to be born, the privilege to come into this world, that God has created the fetus, the unborn baby, that that child might grow and be given the freedom of life, that life which by the power of God's grace might be used to instruct that child about Jesus Christ, that life that as we listen today, God himself wants to declare to you, be concerned about that child, but be equally and more so concerned about the reason that Jesus Christ came into this world, to save sinners, to introduce them to a new way of life, the forgiveness of their sins, because of his death on the cross, his resurrection, that he offers to all who would receive him new life. May it be that as Christians, we are concerned about the new life in Christ, the sharing of that word, and that we are concerned about the protection of the rights of that unborn child. May God's name be forever praised. May he use us. Amen. Our God and our Father, we give thee thanks that you are working. And Father, we would pray that you would sweep from our land this tragedy of abortion, that you would cause Christians by the hundreds and thousands to stand and to speak and to say no more. These are children formed in the image of God, and we must speak. We must protect them. And Father, we pray that by the working of your Spirit, that you would cause us to show that concern to pray, to speak, to show the love of Christ to the end that his name might be honored. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to A Firm Foundation presented by Princeton Ministries. This programming is supported by you, the listener. You may go to our website, princetonministries.org, or send your donation to Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. That's Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. The Lord bless you. And Dr. Smith looks forward to hearing from you. We would like to thank Roan's Web Development Company for making this webcast possible. You can find their link at the bottom of our website, princetonministries.org.